It is Thursday, April 9th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff, and with me from a distance is Jared Smola. We are well into prospect preview season now. You can find 29 free Dynasty prospect scouting reports and counting on DraftSharks.com right now. You can also find Tuesday's episode of the podcast in which we previewed this year's Ballyhooed receiver class. We got an early top 10 from our wide receiver guy, Jared Smola. So check that out. Find out some early sleepers as well. Today, though, it's time for the running backs on this show. And Jared, I'm honestly not sure what to make of this class just yet. There, well, there, there's one guy at the very top I'm super excited about. There's a few. I think the class is top heavy. We talked about the wide receiver class kind of being the opposite, being more about the depth. I think at wide receiver, or sorry, at running back, um, it's more about the top guys. And I think a lot of these third, fourth tier guys um, don't have a ton of upside. And then factor in the the fact that you look around the NFL and there's not a ton of open opportunity in backfields. I think that you know, I think a lot of these guys are, are going to struggle to at least find immediate roles. I agree. I think that early on, even before we knew exactly who was going to come out and be in this running back class, we were looking at it as being a strong class, and there are certainly still some strong prospects in it. But I agree with you that it's top-heavy. There are some guys to get excited about at the top. Beyond that, though, there are plenty of guys who could be something, and then there are a bunch of guys who could you know, end up being nothing. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking back on this class in a few years and we really don't have that many impact players from it. Maybe just a few guys up top. We'll get to those names specifically in a minute. First of all, I wanted to look back at the 2019 class real quick. We've got some mixed results and I think that this class it looks okay. We were probably more excited about it at this point last year than what it merited with its 2019 performance. So We had 25 running backs drafted last year, 2019. Two of those guys were fullbacks. Just one in round one, Josh Jacobs. One in round two, Miles Sanders. Round three was pretty stacked. Daryl Henderson, David Montgomery, Devin Singletary, Damian Harris, Alexander Madison. So Jacobs and Sanders delivered nice fantasy returns right away for us. It took Sanders until later in the season, but still delivered. Devin Singletary helped us out eventually, finished 26th in PPR points per game at the position. David Montgomery... Provided some spotty values, disappointing versus a lofty ADP. I would say, though, overall, the jury's still out on others in the class and really the class as a whole from 2019. Yeah, I agree. Jury's still out. I think you you look at you know the guys who were most productive from a fantasy perspective last year, and it coincides pretty nicely with the order those guys were taken in the NFL draft. And you had Josh Jacobs as the, the first rounder, Miles Sanders in the second round. Um, so I think I think that is a reminder that you know opportunity remains king for running backs. And in general, the guys picked earlier in the NFL draft are the guys that are going to get that immediate opportunity. So I think at running back, even more than wide receiver, draft capital should play a, a bigger role in our final rookie rankings. Yeah, and it really made me hesitate a little bit with how I was trying to rank this class at this early stage and getting past like the first four, maybe five guys. I just didn't know what to make of them without knowing exactly where they're going to go in the NFL draft. So we'll learn that in a few weeks. Last year's class, like I said, is still kind of writing its story. That followed really a couple of solid classes. We had 21 running backs drafted in 2018, led by Saquon Barkley. We had Nick Chubb in round two. Some other backs that have struggled to find their way from that group. 2017 was a stronger class. Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey in round one. Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon in round two. Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, James Conner in round three. I don't think 
that this class is going to stack up to that one. I think this class has a chance to be better than 2018, even though Saquon Barkley was there. But again, we'll see where all the guys beyond the top tier land before we really start projecting. Yeah, again, I think the top of this class has the potential to match, you know, that 2017 class even. But I think the strength of these past couple of draft classes is what's going to hurt some of these middle tier guys in this year's class. It's going to, you know, make it tougher for them to find rules. I agree. So let's get to the 2020 players now. And we'll start with some stats that matter. We were talking on the wide receiver show about how there really aren't that many stats that matter for gauging how successful a wide receiver prospect is going to be in the NFL because there are so many ways of playing that position. That's a little bit different at running back. Obviously, there's nothing that's an automatic harbinger of what's to come. It it always depends on lots of different factors, but Mm -hmm. it matters a little bit more running back. And some of the things that have proven to matter through a variety of studies are categories we're going to go to now. Speed score is the first one I'm going to mention. That, of course, combines a player's weight with his 40 time because, you know, it's more impressive to run a 4-4 if you're 220 pounds than if you're 185 pounds. So this is another one of those things that, that makes sense why it matters for running backs. Speed score winners in this class, Jonathan Taylor, 121.7. That's elite. It's 99th percentile among NFL running backs. Right behind him, A.J. Dillon, 117.3, 97th percentile. It helps when you're about 250 pounds as a running back. Cam Akers, 108.7. Darrington Evans, 107.3. Anthony McFarlane Jr., 107. DeAndre Swift, 105.3. Joshua Kelly from UCLA, 104.3. And Keyshawn Vaughn at 103.5. And then the one more guy to mention, I think, Jared, is Zach Moss. Because if you take his 40 time from the Combine, at 465, he's a below average speed score guy. If you believe the 452 that he got at his quote unquote pro day, which obviously nobody could attend because of COVID, that would make him an above average speed score guy. I think probably the truth is somewhere in the middle, although given all the circumstances, we probably have to lean more toward what he ran at the combine. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think maybe splitting the difference is fair, if not leaning more towards the combine. He he reportedly tweaked a hamstring, I think, in one of his earlier combine drills. So, you know, he, he supposedly wasn't running that 40 at 100%. I'm not going to take the 4.52 number from, you know, his, his own pro day that he, you know, it looked like he filmed himself on, on an iPhone. I'm not going to take mm-hmm. that number uh, and, you know, use it for him. And then you, you watch his film, and we can talk more about Moss, obviously, later here, but you watch his film, and, and I think the lack of long speed is evident. So, you know, I would consider him an average guy as far as speed score goes at best, if not below average. I agree with that. Three cone drill is another one. That's another one that makes sense because it measures a player's agility, how quickly they can change directions. So some winners on on three cone are tough to gauge really, because we didn't get a lot of running backs running it at the combine this year. Only 10 running backs in attendance there got three cone times and only four of those guys posted above average results for the position. We had Joshua Kelly at 6.95 seconds. That was 68th percentile historically among combine running backs. JJ Taylor, seven seconds, a 60th percentile. And really he'd better be good in that category. <laughs> the guy is five foot five and 185. Then we had Jonathan Taylor show up again, 7.01 seconds. James Robinson, 7.03 seconds. Both of those guys a little bit over 50th percentile. And I think when you start seeing guys show up in multiple categories here, that's when you maybe start taking a little bit of a look at them more, especially if it's somebody like Kelly who you didn't get excited about with the numbers or the tape. 
Yeah, and I think three cones another thing that should be weight adjusted. So you know, Jonathan Taylor's three cone, even though it's a bit slower than JJ Taylor's, is is a lot more impressive to me. Um, and I think we talked about this with wide receivers a bit, how um, different measurables should matter more for for different guys. I think when you're looking at the smaller change of pace, you know, maybe the pass catching backs. I think that the three cone time is is more important for guys like that than it is for you know more your bigger downhill runners. Uh, and then the final category I'll hit here is Pro Football Focus's elusive rating, which they have said ha- has been one of their stickier stats from mm-hmm. college to the pros, you know, indicating what a guy is going to be able to carry over into the NFL. Zach Moss topped that category for them with an elite number at the top of the position, well ahead of everybody else. Second among the draft eligible guys is Javon Leak, then Cam Akers, Clyde Edwards Helaire. Uh, Michael Warren, Darius Jet Anderson, and then Jonathan Taylor, Keyshawn Vaughn. The only other guys over 93. I mean, it, it, I think it takes looking deeper into the stat to really understand what the numbers mean. But those mm-hmm. are the guys that, that really flashed above average ability and elusive rating in college. If there's just one metric I could use to rank these incoming running backs, I might go with this elusive rating because you know it measures what a guy is able to do beyond the blocking he receives, which is really out of a player's control for the most part. I think you could argue that, you know, vision and feel can sort of make blockers look better or worse than they actually are. But still, I think elusive rating captures a lot. It's capturing, you know, the guy's ability to evade tackles and break tackles. So, you know, and and like you said, PFF has found that that it's pretty predictive going forward. So elusive rating weighs pretty heavily in my running back rankings. And I believe broadly it includes missed tackles forced and yards after contact, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, it's, it's evading tackles and also breaking tackles. So it's, it's going to reward, you know, different types of running backs, the guys who are shiftier and are going to force missed tackles and, and the more of the power guys that are just going to, you know, bulldoze through defenders. And a particularly helpful stat, I think for Cam Akers, who struggled Mm -hmm. through one of the worst offensive lines in the country and, and didn't thus put up as big numbers, just the traditional numbers as some other guys at the top of the class. Exactly. Any other stats you have to add to this? Yeah. So um, I I think especially in today's NFL, looking at what these running backs did in their passing games in college is important. So I I looked at um, market share for these incoming running backs and also yards per route run, which we get from pro football focus. So for market share, I, um, I took 2019 market share of receptions and receiving yards and sort of averaged that those out to get one, you know, composite number for these guys. So the top five in this class in 2019 market share, one was Eno Benjamin, two, Keyshawn Vaughn, three, Zach Moss. I think surprising maybe to some people, he's, you know, considered more of this big power back, but he has a pretty good pass catching profile. Um, four was the aforementioned JJ Taylor, who's, you know, the undersized guy. Um, so I think it was good to see him farewell in this pass catching metric. And then number five was Clyde Edwards Elaire, who uh, I think that would surprise people because he's considered, you know, probably the best pass catching back in this class. But when you look at his production in the context of LSU's, you know, historic passing game last year, he only comes in fifth here. Mm-hmm. What about next? So yards per out run, this to me maybe shows us guys who were more efficient in the passing games might not have had the big raw numbers, but the opportunities they got, they were efficient in the passing games. And number one here, Zach Moss. So again, I think his his pass catching profile better than given credit for by a lot of folks. And he was at 2.36 yards per route run. Uh, the next guy on this list, Jonathan Taylor, 2.13 yards per route run. So Zach Moss was pretty clearly number one in this category. But Jonathan Taylor, another guy, I think, you know, probably the biggest knock against him 
is his ability in the passing game or lack thereof. But you know, th- this number here showing us that he was pretty efficient when he got a chance to catch the football. Uh, number three, J.J. Taylor, who showed up in the market share. So good to see there. Number four, another surprise to me, A.J. Dillon, the you know big power back out of Boston College was number four on this list. And then number five was Keyshawn Vaughn, who come, came in number two in the market share metric. So uh, another guy who fares well in both of these, Keyshawn Vaughn. Yeah, and I think for J.J. Taylor might be it might be more important for him than any other running back in the class to at least rate in those two categories because if he's going to do anything in the NFL, it's going to be along the lines of Darren Sproles where he has to catch, he has to see receiving volume on offense to be relevant at all for our fantasy teams. Yeah, he's definitely in the Darren Sproles, Tariq Cohen. You know, the, the more modern version, I think, is is what is what you're looking for from J.J. Taylor if he's going to make it in the NFL. All right, so let's start putting all this stuff together into the packages that'll make the running back prospects that we have to decide whether to draft and when to draft in 2020 and beyond. And instead of a, a straight top 10 like we did at receiver the other day, let's do more tiers here because I, I, know, I know you – said so as well but I had a tough time actually ranking these guys and I sat down to try to do it getting ready for this podcast yeah which I think is fine because again I, I think your running back rankings should change more post-draft than really any other position because again I think draft capital and immediate opportunity matter so much more for these guys exactly so we'll start at the top which everybody should be agreeing on but there's uh, <laughs> some there's a surprising amount of people against him but anyway Jonathan Taylor is the first guy, whether he's in a tier by himself or you know with others in the top tier, I, I think it's hard to find a knock on Jonathan Taylor. He's the first player in FBS history to top 6,000 rushing yards in his first three seasons. He wins on speed. He wins on size. He wins on production. He wins on tape. I mean, we could have complained a year ago about his receiving. So then he caught 26 passes for 252 yards and five touchdowns in 2019. There are so few holes to Jonathan Taylor that some people want to question whether his college workload is a red flag. He may, he lasted through it. I, I have not seen anything saying that a big college workload makes you a bigger early injury risk in the NFL. Maybe it's a long-term durability issue. I don't care, though, because I'm not drafting a running back for the long term. We're learning now that really no running back is a good bet beyond his rookie deal in the NFL at this point. Yep, exactly. I'm glad to hear you have Taylor number one. For me, Jonathan Taylor is number one, and he's in a tier of his own above everyone else in these rankings. Um, I mean, if you don't think he's the best runner in this draft class, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you look at the production, he had nearly 2,000 yards as a true freshman on 6.6 yards per carry, over 2,100 yards as a sophomore, 7.1 yards per carry, won the Doak Walker Award as a sophomore as the top running back in the nation, won the Doak Walker Award again this past year with over 2,000 rushing yards on 6.3 yards per carry. Um, He fares well in all the pro football focus stuff. He's third among 23 running backs that I looked at in this class in PFF rushing grade. He's seventh in elusive rating, fourth in yards after contact per attempt. Like you said, he crushed the combine with that 4'3", 940 at 226 pounds. And again, I think you look at the market share stuff, the yards per route run stuff. He's top six among those 23 running backs in both of those metrics. I I think he's not going to be a 60 plus catch guy at the next level. But if he can catch 30 to 40 balls and be a top five runner, you know, that, that that's going to be an RB1 in fantasy. People using the big college workload as a knock against them. I don't understand that considering he he did that 
never missed a game with injury. So he's proven he can handle big workloads and be durable. I, I don't see how that's a knock against the guy. Right. It, it would be different if there were some study that says, you know, watch out because of these guys who carried 600 times in college then got hurt once or twice in their first two seasons. But that's not out there. It's just people saying, well, he's carried the ball a lot. He might get hurt soon. I think like you alluded to, maybe he doesn't have a 10 year career, but I would bet on him being just fine for his first, you know, four or five NFL seasons. Elsewhere in the upper tier, whether it's the very top or the next one down, DeAndre Swift from Georgia, a good runner on tape, not the horse that Jonathan Taylor or JK Dobbins was in college, but you can't really hold that against him in a loaded backfield at Georgia. 2017, they had Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle there. 2018, he still had Elijah Holyfield. Even this, this past year, had Brian Harrion, who is not a big name, but was a, a combine invitee, so is probably going to at least get an NFL sniff. DeAndre Swift's probably the best receiver of these top three, you know, maybe the best receiving running back in the class. We'll see. Uh, 73 catches, 9.1 yards per reception, five scores over his seasons at Georgia. Played in 43 games, so durability not an issue there. Daniel Jeremiah has him as his number 16 overall prospect. It says he has, quote, a similar skill set to Josh Jacobs. Yeah, it sure sounds like Swift is the favorite to be the first running back off the board in the NFL draft. And that, you know, obviously does matter. It makes him a strong bet for an early role. And I think he's obviously deserving and capable of handling that early role. I think, it, you know, it's worth noting that he never reached 200 carries in a college season. So you are projecting him a bit into a bigger role, but you know, he's 212 pounds at, at five foot eight. So he, he's well built. I think he's a guy who can handle, you know, 220, 230 carries or so at the NFL level with a bunch of the receiving stuff T- to me that the most impressive part about his college production profile is just the fact that he got on the field for a pretty significant role as a true freshman in that backfield that had Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle um, Swift average 7.6 yards per carry on 81 attempts that season. And he led the backfield with 17 catches. That was more than Nick Chubb or Sony Michelle. So, you know, he, he got on the field immediately as a young guy, you know, improved his production each of the following two years, tested as a 60th percentile spark guy at the combine, which I think sort of matches the film. He's a good athlete. He's not an amazing athlete. And then, like you said, he's proven he can do it in the passing game. So I think, you know, he, he should come in right away and be able to contribute on all three downs. Yeah, he kind of told us that he was on his way a couple of years ago, and then he kept building from there and hasn't disappointed at all. So yep. should be a good producer, should be one of the top three picks in most rookie drafts. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, I put in this group as well. He didn't rate as well in elusive rating as some of the other guys in this class. He did better in yards after contact per attempt, 24th last year among 224 draft-eligible running backs, according to Pro Football Focus, but didn't fare quite as well in missed tackles forced. I I think, though, on tape, he looks like a dynamic runner with plenty of moves. He was a workhorse for Ohio State. He got on the field immediately as a true freshman, 1,400 rushing yards there, and that despite missing his senior year of high school with injury, 22-plus catches every season at Ohio State. So it looks like Dobbins will probably be at least one of the first four running backs taken, Mm -hmm. if not one of the top three. And I think that there's every reason to believe he can be a three down type if his team wants him to be. Yep. I think he can be too. Um, Yeah. Dobbins set the Ohio state freshman record with uh, 1,403 rushing yards back in 2017. Took a bit, bit of a step back as a sophomore, still topped a thousand yards, had 10 touchdowns. But then last year, like you said, had the 301 carries, 2,003 rushing yards, 21 touchdowns, averaged 6.7 yards per carry. Uh, I think his PFF stuff 
does match the tape. You know, he, he, he was mediocre, like you said, in elusive rating, but near the top of the class in yards after contact per attempt. I do think he's more of a physical, you know, downhill runner than someone like DeAndre Swift, who I think is a bit more finesse. And you'd like to see that Dobbins handled those 300 carries last year. You know, he sort of shows, even though he's not a huge guy, he can handle that type of workload. And then, yeah, another guy who I think showed that he he's at least capable in the passing game with those 22 plus catches in all three seasons, averaged 9.1 yards per catch for his three-year career. So another guy like Taylor and like Swift, who I think can be a three down back as a pro. Why don't you introduce us to the next guy on the list? Yeah, so we're in agreement here with our rankings. Clyde edwards Lair is our number four running back. I think we both two have him in a tier below Swift, Dobbins, and Taylor. Outside of Jonathan Taylor, edwards Lair probably has my favorite tape in this draft class. He's just super tough to get to the ground. He's he's low built, but he you know he has plenty of girth on him. I think um, Maurice Jones-Drew is a comparison I heard that I sort of like when you just look at edwards Lair's body type and ju- just how he plays. He was actually first in this draft class in PFF's rushing grade. He was fourth in elusive rating, at least among the 23 guys I looked at. And the big thing you you see is Edwards Alaire's ability in the passing game. Caught 55 passes this past season for 453 yards and a touchdown. So he he definitely fits the current NFL as a running back who can who can you know be an asset in the passing game. Yeah, he's a, a little bit limited in t- in big plays, I think, because of the lack of long speed versus some of the other top guys. I think that that was a knock on David Montgomery heading into last season. I think it's a similar knock on Edward Elair. You know, there's not a long record of production here. Again, he's playing at LSU, so it's a little tough to grab a huge share of the touch pie there. But the receiving stuff is great. The His escapability is, is fun to watch. I mean, he's got an arsenal of moves where he can get away from people in the backfield. He can elude tacklers at the next level. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of pro player he becomes. He fared well in market share of receptions in this class. 12.9% ranked second best in 2019 among the running backs that were invited to the combine only Keyshawn Vaughn was higher and you know Keyshawn Vaughn was the team at Vanderbilt versus Edward Dealer playing at LSU with a whole bunch of other guys so there's plenty to like I think to me the biggest knock against him is just that he was a one-year wonder he really didn't do much until this past season and that of course came in that you know historic LSU passing game and offense I guess in general one of the best offenses we've seen in college football in a long time before that Edward Elair barely got on the field as a freshman. Now he, he's a freshman at a stacked LSU program. That backfield had Darius Geis. It had Daryl Williams, who we've seen make a, a bit of an impact in the NFL. But then in 2018, you know, Edward Elair played behind Nick Brosette, who, you know, is this plotter, is is not going to make it in the NFL. I'm not even sure he's on a roster anymore at this point. And Edward Elair averaged just 4.5 yards per carry in 2018, had just 11 catches. So, you know, his profile was looking like a guy who, you know, was a, was a late round NFL draft pick at best until this past season. So the question is, would we be viewing him this way if it wasn't for that amazing 2019 LSU offense? I watched the tape and and I think, you know, he's, he's good. It it wasn't just the, the, the offense making him look that way. He was probably in fact a a big part of why LSU was so good. Yeah, he was certainly involved in it, but I, I agree that that's the thing to wait and see. And it seems like the scouting community is, is near unanimous on Edward Elair as a top level running back prospect. I'm curious to see if the NFL cares about the disappointing 40 time for him, like we, you know, fantasy slash analytics people do, or whether they don't 
like the scouting folks want to. If Edward Delair goes in the first half of round two, then they obviously don't care about it. If he goes in the middle to second half of round three, then I think they obviously do care about it. And well, I mean, it, it's not like Edward Delair had a horrible combine. He just disappointed in the 40. He had a 91st percentile vertical and an 80th percentile broad. So, you know, he, he's not a subpar athlete. He's just, he doesn't have that elite long speed. Next guy on the list, Cam Akers, who we mentioned earlier from Florida State. He was the number two running back and number four overall player in his recruiting class at the end of high school. And despite being a dual threat quarterback at that level, saw contact at or behind the line of scrimmage at the highest rate of any FBS running back, according to Pro Football Focus. Solid receiver, strong pass blocking grade, so I think those will help his chances of getting on the field early in the pros. The FSU offensive line, though, fourth worst in run blocking grade. I believe that's just last year's grades that we're talking about, but not, it was a weak point for Florida state throughout his run, Georgia, Wisconsin, and LSU uh, for comparison's sake, all ranked top 14 in the country in that category. So acres would probably be glad to get somewhere with at least a little bit better blocking. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Florida State's offense or offensive line was so bad that it was almost tough to like evaluate acres on film just because he, he, Never had anywhere to run, but um, you, you look at some of the pro football focus stuff and it's encouraging. Um, Akers third in elusive rating among 23 running backs I looked at. He was fifth in yards after contact per attempt among those 23. Like you said, had that impressive freshman season at Florida State, uh, went over a thousand yards, broke Delvin Cook's school record for rushing yards by a freshman, stepped back as a sophomore, but was back over 1,100 rushing yards this past season, five yards per carry, which I think again looks better when you consider how bad. Florida State's offensive line was. And then he had 69 catches across his three college seasons, um, including 30 this past season. So another guy, I think, who is capable in the passing game. You know, I think there's a chance that Akers belongs up near, you know, the DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins tier. Um, We just might be underrating him because of the situation he was in at Florida State. Yeah, I mean, it certainly helps that he ran a 4-4-7-40. He had a 95th percentile 10-yard split, so he's quick starting out of his breaks and, you know, out of a stopped position. So I would not be shocked if Cam Akers ends up going ahead of Clyde Edwards Elair, and I'll be curious to see where he does land in the NFL draft. Yeah, I think I think Akers might even have more upside than Edwards Elair. I just think there, there's a better chance he becomes a workhorse ball carrier. Mm-hmm. Zach Moss has a chance to be a workhorse type. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you mentioned all the stuff about the receiving profile and elusive rating. He graded top 15 for rushing each of the past three seasons, according to Pro Football Focus, 0.33 tackles broken per attempt over that span was the third highest rate. The fifth most rushes of 10 plus yards. So he might not be a long speed guy, but he's certainly an efficient runner, an above average pass protector, according to PFF. And, you know, on tape, there are nice cuts. There's good power to his game. Mm-hmm. He was a Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year last year. A good player, even if he doesn't quite reach top shelf status. Yeah, again, I think you can see the lack of burst and speed for Zach Moss on tape. Like he's, he's not going to break off big plays at the NFL, but you know, I I'm with PFF. He's, he's a tackle breaker. He's, he's going to you know get more yards than, than what's blocked on most runs. Again, I think their receiving profile is sort of sneaky. He was one of the more efficient pass catching running backs in this class last year also was good. So he had 28 catches last year. He had 29 catches as a sophomore. His, his junior year was cut short by injuries a little bit, but the concerns with him, again, I think the athleticism, we talked about the 40 time, you know, whether it's a mid 4.5 or a mid 4.6, it's definitely subpar. He was also 30th percentile vertical, 24th percentile in the short shuttle. So you know, pretty 
weak athletic profile, and then the durability concerns. Zach Moss missed one game with an undisclosed injury his freshman season. He missed five games in 2018 after, I guess, aggravating some previous knee injury when he was getting into bed one night, Mm -hmm. ended up uh, needing surgery for that and missing five games. And then he missed one game this past season with a shoulder injury and then tweaked the hamstring at the combine. So durability a concern, especially for a guy like Moss, who is going to be taking on a lot of contact in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But I think probably a round two rookie draft guy, I think he'll make yep. plenty of sense there as long as he doesn't land somewhere where he's buried in the backfield. Out of all these guys, he's the one I'm probably most interested to see how early he goes in the NFL draft. Like, is he a day two guy or is he like a fifth rounder? Mm-hmm. Next tier down, I want to start with Eno Benjamin. And I did his dynasty prospect scouting report and watching Benjamin run is like watching a four-year-old boy at a birthday party. He's all over the place. He does not stop moving. There are spins, there's hops, there's cuts. He just does not want to stop moving with the ball until somebody forces him to. He ran for more than 7,500 yards in high school in Texas, was a state offensive player of the year as a senior there. Then when he got the starting job in his second year at Arizona State, 2018, 1,030 rushing yards after contact, ranked third nationally behind only Daryl Henderson and Jonathan Taylor, 84 broken tackles, ranked third behind only David Montgomery and Devin Singletary. You know, all four of those guys are either in the NFL or about to go early in the NFL. And, you know, Benjamin, the biggest thing in his favor for his projection forward is he's an effective receiver, was third on the team in receptions each of his two starting seasons. He caught 82 of 88 catchable targets, according to PFF. Pass protection could be an issue for him. He didn't look good there for me from what I saw. Maybe I just got the bad reps for him. But if he's in the game, he should really be running routes most of the time. So I hope that that won't matter too much. Strong three-cone time, strong vertical, strong broad. So he's got the the talent in the areas where he should need it in the pros. I think I watched three full games of Eno Benjamin and I, I still can't figure him out. I, I agree. Like you said, I, I think, I think he, he just bounces runs too much. He tries to to do too much with his runs. And it almost seems like he thinks he's more elusive than he actually is. And PFF sort of agrees. He was just 15th in elusive rating among those 23 running backs. I looked at on the plus side, I think, think he has more power than you expect from a guy that's only 207 pounds. Either way, though, I don't I don't expect Benjamin to make it as a lead runner at the next level. But like you said, he does have that impressive pass catching profile. 42 catches last year. Again, he was first in this class in the market share metric. Also had 35 catches as a sophomore in 2018. So you know he has he has uh, nearly 80 catches over his last two college seasons. That's you know one of the best marks in this class. And had the had the pretty solid combine. You know, the four, five, seven, forty time is kind of disappointing for a two hundred seven pounder. But he did good in the jumping drills. Did uh, you know he was above average in the three cone? So I, I think I think he can definitely make it as a change of pace guy. How much fantasy upside that gives him will depend on the landing spot. Yeah, I think that Tariq Cohen is his outlook for the NFL, and it's going to matter how much volume he gets because I, I don't think he's going to do a whole lot as a runner. He'll do just enough, and, and he should be worthwhile if he gets good target volume. Yep, agreed. Who do you want to bring up next in this tier? Let's go to your guy, Anthony McFarland. Uh, g- give me your give me your pro McFarland take. I you gotta just look, read the <laughs> scouting report for it. I didn't even bother taking notes down here because really, uh, if you look at his profile coming in, he should be like a seventh rounder that yeah. you don't really take a chance on. Um, that you know the NFL takes a late shot on that we take at the end of a, a rookie draft but when I watched him 
I mean, God, the guy is so exciting. Like if there is, if you give him any space, he yeah. is gone. I mean, you normally you would think if somebody runs a four, four 40 at the combine, that just indicates how fast they are. I think he's faster than that on the football field because uh, people just don't catch him. I watched the Ohio state game from 2018 and not only did he have two touchdown runs of more than 70 yards, he had another run where he almost outran the trailing safety who had a good pursuit angle on him. McFarland almost outran that guy to a spot that he had no business beating the DB to. It did get taken down, but I mean, it could have been another long touchdown there. Then, you know, I I was thinking it was just going to be the speed stuff and then power showed up from him. I mean, I'm not saying that he's a, a giant bruising back, but there's definitely some leg drive to him. There's a little bit of shiftiness. He's not great on cuts, but there's some of that there. I think overall, I like him a lot as like a day three NFL draft pick and like a chance to take from anywhere from like late in the third round of a rookie draft. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. The more I watched McFarlane, I agree his his tape is super exciting. You know, outside those top you know six guys, I think it's probably my my favorite tape among the rest of the class. Um, the more I watched him, the more more I saw Daryl Henderson, who of course everyone was super excited about coming into the league last year. Like Henderson, if you if you give McFarlane the crease, he's he's gonna take advantage. He's gonna you know run through and by the second level defenders, but. I do see the lack of agility and if, you know, someone does get in his way, it it can, you know, sort of ruin the play. So I think, you know, landing spot is going to be key for him. He's going to probably need a strong offensive line, but yeah, the, the speed score um, 107 was sixth in this class among 23 guys I looked at. So that bodes well for him. I wish he had more of a pass catching profile. Um, You know, he didn't fare too well there in uh, yards per route run or market share. I think, you know, he's, he's a guy who, who might need, to contribute in the passing game to, you know, really be a big time fantasy factor for us. McFarland also has some durability concerns. Um, he broke a, he broke his leg in his senior year of high school and then had a high ankle sprain this past season that, that sort of lingered throughout the year. So that's a concern for me too. But, but I agree if you're looking for upside, I think McFarland outside those, you know, top six or so backs might have the highest ceiling in this class. Yeah. So he, I mean, he's the kind of player that if he goes early in round seven to some team, I'm going to be like, okay, I guess we'll see what happens. And then if some team surprisingly takes him at the end of round three with one of those compensatory picks, you're probably going to hear me from my house going, woo, as I move him way too far (laughs) up my draft board. Because I mean, I certainly agree. I wish we had gotten more carries from him in, in college. I wish we had more receptions from him in college, but we at least see what he's capable of doing if he gets those. I mean, even on the few receiving reps I saw, it looks like a guy who's comfortable catching the ball. Mm -hmm. He looks like a guy who knows what he's doing in pass protection too, on at least on the limited reps I saw. So, you know, he's a maybe, maybe he can do it. Maybe it won't work out. Yeah. And you know, there there are plenty of people who do what we do, who are super excited about McFarland. And I've even heard and read from more NFL types that, you know, McFarland is a guy who, who might go, earlier than you know generally expected so it wouldn't shock me to see him you know land in round three even and and if that's the case yeah he definitely should be higher in these running back rankings all right so now it's your turn to pick somebody from this range all right let's go let's go Keyshawn Vaughn who's actually my running back seven so after those top six you know after Zach Moss I have Keyshawn Vaughn as my running back seven um I like you know he's 5'10 214 pounds so you know he I think has the size to be a lead ball carrier at the next level um ran a four 5'140 
at the combine. So that was a 103.5 speed score. That's above average. It was 10th among those 23 running backs I looked at. Um, Fared pretty well in the PFF stuff. He was eighth among those 23 in elusive rating, ninth in yards after contact per attempt. His best college season actually came when he was a junior back in 2018. Averaged 7.9 yards per carry that year on 157 carries. Took a step back last year to just 5.2 yards per carry on 198 attempts. But again, you know, still went over a thousand yards. So back to back thousand yard seasons for him at Vanderbilt. And another guy who I think, you know, had, again, I think has the size and ability to be a lead ball carrier and also can contribute in the passing game. 28 catches for 270 yards and a score for Keyshawn Vaughn last year. Um, he was, again, second in that uh, market share metric I looked at and then fifth in yards per route run. Yeah, he is definitely part of the range of I got to wait and see where these guys go. I, I don't have anything that excites me about Keyshawn Vaughn. I don't have anything that I hate about Keyshawn Vaughn. 5.3 yards after contact per attempt in 2018, which was his first season at Vanderbilt, was really strong. It concerns me a little bit that he couldn't emerge at Illinois, but you never you know, really know what all is at play there. His rushing grade fell from his junior to senior year, so he's just in this nebulous range for me where if he goes in round three, I'm, I'm interested, and if he goes in round six, I'm not so much. Yeah, yeah, and and Vaughn, you know, like DeAndre Swift, he he never reached 200 carries in a college season either. So you know, again, despite the fact that I think he has the size, and and I watch him, and I think he, I think he has the abil- the ability to be a lead back, you know, at least like an average running back in the NFL. There is some projection there though, because you know, for whatever reason, he didn't get big volume at Vandy. Darrington Evans is, I think, the guy that a lot of people are going to like the way that I like Anthony McFarland. He, mm-hmm. he, I, I wanted to like Darrington Evans going in, and the speed is definitely there. You can see him break some of the long plays like McFarland did on his tape. I just don't see enough wiggle for a guy that that's his size and his profile. He just, he just stopped short of exciting me. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the combine performance is the most exciting thing about Darrington Evans, you know, the one Oh seven point three speed score fifth best among the 23 running backs. I looked at, he was 80th percentile or better in the vertical and the broad jump finished with an 84th percentile spark score. I think that's the most exciting thing. But when I look at his production at Appalachian State and even the tape you know just he's playing against lower level competition for the most part neither neither the production nor the tape really stood out to me and he didn't fare very well in the PFF stuff you know he was 18th or worse in rushing grade elusive rating and yards after contact per carry among 23 running backs I looked at he was just 11th in both the market share and yards per route run metrics so He's okay. I could see him being a, a decent change of pace back, but I, I'm not. I'm not super excited about Darrington Evans. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm. I'm surprised when I see that people are excited. I saw yeah. where Daniel Jeremiah said Darrington Evans could go a lot earlier than people expect. I forget if he said round three, maybe, or even earlier than that. But I also had to remember at that point that Daniel Jeremiah was an App State alum himself. <laughs> oh, that's right. That all makes sense. And yeah, I'd be. I'd be shocked if Evans went you know earlier than the, the later third round I think he I think he's a day three guy I think you can you know find his type pretty easily that's what I expect as well all right so beyond this range who do you like maybe that that's not quite in your top 10 or maybe they are in your top 10 yeah so there's one more guy that we haven't talked about that is in my top 10 and it's AJ Dillon who I have at running back eight and I mean I I get it he's he's the big power back who like 20 years ago <laughs> probably would have been like a top 20 pick because of you know he's he's six foot 247 pounds, ran a 4.5340, which is 
awesome for that size. Um, 117.3 speed score for him was, was third among the 23 running backs I looked at. Also, uh, was 96th percentile in the vertical, 97th percent in the broad. So just, just crushed the combine, ended up with a 97th percentile spark score. We'll, we'll see what that does to his stock, you know, in, in the NFL draft. I, I watch him. I don't think he plays as athletically as he tested. Like you can see the size speed combination, but you know, he, he needs a runway to get going. He's not going to like make a move in the backfield and you'll break off a big gain. If you give him a hole, he's going to hit it. He's going to get into the second level. He's probably going to break or break a tackle and he has the speed to, you know, take it to the house, but averaged just 5.2 yards per carry across three seasons at Boston college. Not, not a bad number, but it's not elite, you know, for a college running back. The big question is, can he contribute anything in the passing game? He had zero catches as a freshman, despite having 300 carries, which I think is like one of the craziest stats of of any player in this entire draft class to have 300 carries and zero catches. Dylan then had eight catches as a sophomore, topped out at 13 catches this past season. Again, like we talked about at the top here, though, he was fourth in yards per route run among the 23 running backs I looked at, averaged 15 yards per catch. So he, he actually was pretty efficient when he did get it in the passing game. I, I just don't know if whatever team drafts him is going to give him a chance to do that in the pros. Yeah, for me, more telling than those numbers is how little Boston College used him as a receiver despite handing him the ball on every single other play on offense. That, to me, says he's not a receiving asset. I I did the scouting report on him. I barely saw any receiving reps in the games that I watched. Uh, he did not look comfy on the couple that I did see. I, I think he's Andre Williams, who was another Boston College guy from a few years yeah. ago, carried 300 plus times, went over 2,000 yards, couldn't didn't catch the ball, went to the NFL, did that exact same thing, washed out after a few years. I think A.J. Dillon's a day three pick who's not going to offer anything receiving, who's just a power back, and he, he's just coming along at the wrong time. If it was like yeah. 1987, then I'd be like, yeah, give me some A.J. Dillon, but at this point, I just I don't see his fit. I don't see him turning into a regular fantasy contributor. I think like the best case for him would be Legarrette Blunt, where he's mm-hmm. the goal line guy on a team that's gonna score a lot of touchdowns, and that's really been the only time beyond his rookie year where Legarrette Blunt was valuable for us. To me, like the the most optimistic outcome for Dylan is like Jordan Howard if he proves decent enough in the passing game to catch like 15, 20 passes a game and then, you know, be a team's lead ball carrier. I think, I think that's the ultimate upside for AJ Dillon. Yeah. I liked Jordan Howard better coming out than I like AJ Dillon. For me, I I would rather wait a round or so, maybe even two in a rookie draft and take Cincinnati's Michael Warren, who's another power back, not as big as AJ Dillon because almost nobody's as big as AJ Dillon, but 226 pounds, 505 carries the past two years, 30 rushing scores for Cincinnati. I would have liked better market shares for him in those categories at Cincinnati. He was under 50% in both of those carries and um, rushing scores. But Michael Warren also had 46 catches over his two years, 8.7 yards per catch career. So he has shown the receiving ability. I think he shows a bit more agility on his runs than A.J. Dillon does and went over 7,600 rushing yards in high school. So it has been a productive player at both levels. So when you add that to uh, just being able to wait longer in a rookie draft to take a shot on him, I'd rather do that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, didn't test nearly as well, but um, similar type of player, I think, who's you know going to do his damage on the ground. He's not going to be a factor in the passing game, but Warren actually did fare very well in all the pro football focus stuff um elusive rating yards after contact per attempt he was actually near the top of this class and that's the type of player he is he is the power runner so yeah i'm with the warrens guy that could be interesting i I just think a guy who's gonna sort of have to fall into an opportunity he's not good enough to like clear out the backfield and just become the lead guy 
Who else you got in this intriguing players portion of the show? Uh, well, so let's talk about Antonio Gibson because you know we we mentioned him on the wide receiver show, and you know we we don't know what position he's going to play in the NFL. After watching him, I think he should be our running back. He sort of looks lost to me at wide receiver. I think he's the type of guy you just want to get the ball in his hands as quickly as possible. So I think running back makes sense for him. He played running back and wide receiver at Memphis this past year. Really did nothing his junior year at Memphis. Started at a junior college, went to Memphis as a junior, six catches and zero carries that year. But this past season, he had 38 catches for 735 yards and eight touchdowns, and he carried 33 times for 369 yards and four touchdowns. He was also the um, American Conference's special teams player of the year, averaging 28 yards per kick return, scored one kick return touchdown. So again, I think in a lot of ways, you know, he just showed that he's awesome with the ball in his hands. Per Pro Football Focus, Gibson broke 16 tackles on his 33 rushing attempts, broke 17 tackles on his 38 catches. Those are those are crazy high numbers. And then he goes to the combine, runs a 43940 at 228 pounds, gave him a 122.8 speed score, which if you consider him a running back, that speed score is even better than what Jonathan Taylor posted. If he gets drafted and then the team says, we are going to play him at running back, then I'm interested. If he gets to like round four of a rookie draft, then I'm interested. I think at this point, he's going a little bit too high in the the mock drafts for me to start getting interested in a guy that I don't know what his profile is going to be. I mean, maybe he just ends up being Cordero Patterson, where he hits the league with exciting athleticism and, you know, teams value him somehow, but he doesn't carve out a spot where he gets consistent touches. And, you know, it's entirely possible for Antonio Gibson to have a good NFL career where he helps his NFL teams and just be worthless to us in fantasy. And that's what I'm worried that he's going to do. Yep. Definitely possible. Um, I think for now, just a flyer, but yeah, I definitely want to hear his, you know, whatever team drafts and want to hear him announce as a running back later this month. Um, And another guy, I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, does he go in the third round Mm -hmm. or does he go in the sixth round? I think that's going to tell us a lot about his, his potential role. Yeah. I'm also interested in his teammate, Patrick Taylor, who Mm -hmm. commanded 208 carries and 17 catches two two seasons ago, 2018, when Daryl Henderson was there as the lead ball carrier, Henderson had 214 carries, so just six more carries than Taylor, 19 catches, just two more catches than Patrick Taylor in that same backfield, which also included Tony Pollard, by the way. Taylor had 16 rushing touchdowns for that team with both of those guys there. He also beat Daryl Henderson in carries and rushing touchdowns in 2017 when both of those guys were sophomores. Taylor kind of fell off the 2019 radar because a foot injury cost him eight games early in the season, but solid size, 6'1", 217. A 4'5", at the combine was okay. It gives him a speed score that's a little bit above average for the position, but he, he runs big on the little bit that I've seen, and I think he'll be a late pick, both NFL draft-wise and rookie draft-wise. And Memphis has become like a running back factory all of a sudden. They, they have a guy, Kenneth Gainwell, who was a freshman this past season, who I think is another guy who's going to be um, someone we're talking about in a couple of years here. So, I mean, the the fact that we've got, you know, there's been these big numbers out of you, know, even someone like Gibson and then Tony Pollard and Daryl Henderson makes me worry a bit about Taylor, whether, you know, it's, it's just a product of the system. I honestly have not watched him yet, though, so I need to, to do that before I say anything else about the guy. <laughs> and I certainly haven't watched a lot, so it's kind of early take on him. And, you know, if he gets, if he goes undrafted, then it's probably time to stop talking about him. Yep, exactly. Got anybody else in this category? I uh, know that's it for me. 
I'm going to throw out just DJ Dallas in a quick mention. Was a quarterback, wide receiver, running back, and defensive back in high school. He arrived at Miami as a wide receiver, but switched to running back halfway through his true freshman season in 2017. He's got good size, 5'10", 217. Good size for a running back, much better than for a receiver. 28 catches on 31 targets over his three college seasons. I think he looks faster on tape than his 4'5'8 time at the combine says but even that number is slightly above average for the position I think he shows some power and you know he didn't get a lot of touches at Miami but he was working behind Travis Homer until this past year Mark Walton was there until 2017 and Dallas also missed three games last year so we've got this guy who was just learning to be a running back had some people ahead of him on the depth chart, had some injury issue and probably limited his exposure. I think like Patrick Taylor, a very late upside possibility target for rookie drafts. Yeah, I mean, you, you tell me he's a you know former wide receiver who moved to running back. I would assume that means he can catch the football. So that alone makes him interesting when we're getting down to this level. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to do it for this running back edition of the Prospect Preview Series. Check out our wide receiver episode from Tuesday to hear Jared's early top 10 at the position, plus some other potential late sleepers. And of course, check DraftSharks.com daily for fresh Dynasty Prospect scouting reports. I posted number 29 this morning. It's Anthony McFarlane Jr. And it's fun. All of them are free. We will be adding more right up until NFL draft time. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.